Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Thank you, Joseph, and nice to be here with you today. How are things? Not too bad. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I have a mission tonight. You and I are both passionate about supporting managed care for animals, for exotic animals. And all of a sudden, with all the good that we've done over the 50 years that I've been in this field, all the people that we've brought to animals, all the education, all the increases in the standards, the research, everything, I can't believe that there's anybody out there that has the opinions that some of these extremists have. So I have been looking at a couple of critical issues with marine mammals and their survivability. And I was wondering if you know of any of the complaints or the criticisms that people that uh, think that marine mammals, for example, shouldn't be kept in managed care. So one that they have that I do know of is uh, about sea pens. A lot of these people think that the animals should be kept in sea pens. Do you think that's a great idea? No. Neither do I. What do we know that these people need to know? That there's a lot of contamination pollution. Yeah, that we can't protect the animals from, right? And with the climate change and the change in the acidity of the ocean, we're having all these El Ninas and El Ninos, lots and lots of red tides and other uh, contaminating so-called tides, right? Which are really algal blooms. And the uh, toxins are horrific. Like demozoic acid is one of them. I think that's, I'll try to, I'll try to check the spelling on that. Demoic acid. Okay, we'll look that up. But anyway, this is one of the toxins of blue-green algae. And it is something that's found in biopsies of the brains of people with ALS. And there are lots of people on the lee side of the uh, Lake Erie. There's decidedly more people getting ALS and they call it the something like the Erie effect. So the deal is, is these contaminants in the water are very dangerous to the animals that are kept using that water unfiltered. And and it's not just from the water either, it travels in the air. The wind picks it up and deposits it in other places, which is why the people on the leeway side of Lake Erie have a higher incidence of ALS also. And these toxins are cumulative. But you know who's a hero 
in this particular thing? Nope. My colleagues at Dolphin Plus in Key Largo, they are doing such amazing stuff. And they have their uh, animals trained to do a couple of really amazing things. One is they come up and voluntarily get strapped into a, a moving board, you know, like a body board. So the dolphin comes up and all these seatbelts get strapped all over its whole body. They then take him to a van. The van takes him to a medical center and he gets an MRI scan of his lungs. Because That's really cool. Is that cool? And it's totally voluntary. These animals all know what they're doing and they all totally cooperate. And this is to monitor disease conditions in the lung because hello, they live in a very warm, moist environment that causes problems with things like mycoplasmosis. So it's very common for marine mammals in the wild or in managed care to have these conditions and Dolphins Plus has figured out how to monitor them. But here's my favorite one. They have taught their dolphins to all come up on their decks by their pools and get a drink. They actually pump this right into their stomach and it's charcoal water. So the charcoal absorbs the toxins. So my friends there were telling me that they would come out and they would see the dolphins playing with algae. And then they'd see them acting all intoxicated. They would be ataxic, which means they didn't move uh, fluidly like they normally would. They would be lethargic. They were high on this toxin. So what are they going to do, right? So they came in and started this process of giving them charcoal water. And not only did it correct that, but the dolphins quit picking up the algae because they no longer got a high from it. So I, I can't even imagine how important this is to the neurological well-being of these animals. Because like I said, it, these toxins are accumulative. So if they, <clears throat> excuse me, if they were just swimming around in the Gulf of Mexico, nobody is helping them. And they would be directly exposed. I remember a couple of years ago, they were gonna do a conference for dog trainers in Florida. I could have gone, I wouldn't go because Florida had been in a red tide bloom for something like 18 months. Oh dear. Yeah, so all the beaches, all the breezes were all contaminated. You really shouldn't go to the beach. You sure shouldn't take your dog to the beach. You don't want them in the water. You don't want them breathing. You know, all this stuff washes up onto the beach. Oh, and I don't know if you knew this, but blue-green algae 
produces hepatotoxins, cytotoxins, neurotoxins. If you just look at the neurotoxins, if you kill the blue-green algae and the water looks clear and beautiful, uh -huh. problem, right? Right. Wrong. The toxins are uh, like tasteless, colorless, you can't, and the half-life at three months, you still have 50% of the neurotoxin you had in the middle of the bloom. It's really serious stuff. Okay, so there is a, there is a what place where just the fact that we know these animals and we care about them, we are figuring out how to help them adapt to the environment that people have corrupted so that they can live. Now, another place where I've seen this be very important is how about the Southern resident orcas up in Puget Sound? Yes. So when I first started following that, there were 85 whales. Now there's 75 or less. I don't think they've had a viable calf, a calf that's lived longer than three years in that time. And they recently, one of the females in her reproductive prime died. Uh-oh. It is just horrific. Anyway, we don't know exactly why this is happening. And I'll, I'll bring up another th thing that could be a factor of it in a minute. But we do know these whales prefer to eat Chinook salmon. The Chinook salmon is endangered. These whales are starving to death. How do we know that? We know that because our colleagues at SeaWorld undertook taking aerial photographs of their whales in good condition. Right. And what they were able to show is that a whale in good condition should have like a little slightly hourglass uh, patch of white, I believe it was. Yeah. You know, like their eye patches. Uh -huh. The more weight that the whale loses, the more that the flesh is, you know, consumed, the fat under the skin, the more you see just a white line where you ought to see the white patches. So they're able to compare these wild whales and say, hey, we've got a big problem. What can we do next? Now, before I go on to the second factor that I think might be an issue with the Southern orcas, you told me about a criticism that you often hear. Do you remember what it was? The collapsed dorsal fin and the teeth. Okay. The teeth I don't know about. So I'll have to look into that and, and maybe you'll have information about it too. The dorsal fin I can comment on because the, one of the things we don't have in managed care is the entire ocean. Right. So, as I recall, the SeaWorld Stadium in Florida is 5 million gallons. 
for the orchids. Shamu Stadium, I believe it's 5 million gallons. I believe it's at least 22 feet deep with steep sides. Part of it is shaded. But most of the places, let me ask you, do you know if, if SeaWorld Florida has collapsed dorsal fins or not? Yes. They do have them? Okay. Yes. So the second part of that is 5 million gallons isn't the whole ocean, but that's a lot of territory, right? Uh -huh. To swim around in. But here's the thing. The, the animals are like us. Like we're right-handed and we tend to do everything so that we honor our dominant side. So when you walk, if you make a longer stretch with your right side, which these animals tend to do, you're going to prefer to go around in one direction. And to tell you the truth, I forget which direction it is, but I can tell you with my horse, um, she likes to go clockwise. If you ask her to run counterclockwise, she'll run a third of the way around and then try to turn back. And I, I, we work in both directions and she'll eventually go along with me, but she doesn't like it. Similarly, when I was at the National Zoo, they uh, painted the sea lion pool. That pool was 125 feet long. It was between, I don't remember, it was 250 or 500,000 gallons, but big pool. And they painted it white, which was an error. And those animals all swam around and around. They like to swim counterclockwise. And by the time I saw them two hours into the day, their eyes on this side, their left eye was swollen shut because that's the eye that was getting exposed to the sun as they were doing their long run around. They had to repaint the pool. The eye on the other side wasn't very affected. It was their left eye that really had problems. So where this leads to is that uh, we can encourage the animals to work out in both directions, but a collapsed dorsal fin is thought to be related to possibly uneven, uneven uh, muscle development, which I'm not absolutely sure that that's still the same thought, that there are still the same thoughts on that. They may have advanced their understanding of that condition, but that is something that has to do with animal choice, that they choose to go around in one direction. And they also, are often given a choice of where they go, what pools they go into. For example, SeaWorld Florida, I think they have at least five different pools. Seven. Seven, okay. And the animals can get together or be apart. And what they found is over and over again, the whales tend to congregate 
in the smallest pool. Nobody's making them do that. Nobody's encouraging them to do that. I'm like, that's like my friends in England. They all go to these little pubs and they sit around in little tables. They could go out and work out or dance or hike or something like that, but they go to the pub and they hunch around a little table and they socialize and they drink for God's sakes. Imagine <laughs> if the whales could choose drink, but I know, it, right? You'd yeah. have drunk whales. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're already well hydrated, right? Oh, whale yeah. hydrated. <laughs> so, so that could be a big part of the collapsed dorsal issue. I wanted to take us back to the problem with the Southern residents. Remember I said there were two issues that I knew of. And one is the fact that the Chinook salmon is in short supply. And one of the questions I ask is, are they really that rigid in their food that they won't go out and eat other fish or other things? But there are definite culture differences between the whales. And there are whales that go north and south right off the coast of Puget Sound. And these traveling whales are more aggressive and they tend to eat seals and sea lions. And it could be that the resident orcas have evolved to not go out and compete with them. But that's not even the reason that I had. The reason, the thing that really concerns me, or hmm, that's not a good way to put it. I'm afraid that this is a very important issue that uh, influences how these whales are doing. And that is the absence of the PON1 gene. Are you familiar with that issue? No, I'm not. Well, it is a really important one. And it's a reason that everybody who loves marine mammals should be cheering us on and our efforts to support them and manage care and to study them. Because all the whales, dolphins, seals, sea lions, manatees, dugongs, and even otters and beavers are all lacking the PON1 gene. Originally, the first paper I read on it, they thought it was related to losing the legs or the legs becoming more flipper-like, but that's not so much the case with an otter or a beaver. The PNO1 gene is a very powerful antioxidant and it also allows humans and most animals to break down organophosphate poisoning. And all the marine mammals are missing that. So they are not able to detox their bodies from uh, oxidized fatty acids. And let me see, there's two in particular, two 
substances that are really bad to organophosphates. And one was, ah, shoot. Hold on, I'm looking it up. I thought I wrote it down in my notes. Let me just get that for us because it's really important. Always, uh, always write things down in your notes, folks. <laughs> really, you never know when you're going to want it. So a guy named Clark from the University of Pittsburgh is doing a lot of studies on this. And uh, one of the things that was interesting to everybody is that whales and dolphins came from hoofed animals, relatives of deer and hippos. And manatees came from relatives of elephants. And relatives of bears gave rise to seals and sea lions, and I think also otters. And all these guys got streamlined bodies and, uh, you know, the flippers or the flukes. And millions of years ago, they lost this gene. And there's two things. I, I know approximately what it is, but I don't want to tell you guys the wrong name of this substance. Okay, to, uh, they showed, okay, with, with regular animals, they generally don't even test for uh, organophosphates because we break down the toxins so quickly. But marine mammals, almost all of them completely failed, I'm quoting here, to break down two common organophosphates, chlorpyrifose and diazinon. So those are very specific, very common organophosphates. So like the manatees in Florida, are probably bathed in this stuff. And we need to be monitoring it. And we need to find a way to support these animals because if we don't help them solve this particular problem, especially the way the waters are being polluted, it is predicted that all marine mammals will be extinct by the turn of the century. That's not good. That's not good. And all the extremists that want to return everybody um, to, you know, the wilds. And especially like, well, you know, the people down in Miami, there's a bunch of activists that are, they just keep going to court to take Lolita back to Lolita, who's been with her human family at the Miami Seaquarium for over 40 years. And now they're gonna all of a sudden drop her in the Puget Sound area, hoping she's gonna find her long lost family who may very well all be dead now. They may all be dead. And she's gonna be, she's very elderly 
And she's going to be dropped into a situation where all the people that know what's going on, all the orcas that know how to survive and that have the support of their family groups are starving to death. And where the toxicity has gone up and up due to the uh, drainage from the land and also, you know, drainage from ships, dumping toilets, leaking oil, all these different kinds of things. And these whales are not equipped to deal with this stuff. We need to not only have animals of all these different kinds in managed care, but we need to study them as if the earth's on fire because it is. And yeah. we have to find a way to take them into the next century. All these zoos and aquariums are arcs. Not all arcs are built like Noah's. Some of them look like SeaWorld. And some of them look like the San Diego Zoo or the National Zoo or the Baltimore Aquarium. I hope people become as passionate about this as you and I are. And I've been encouraged because recently I met some brilliant young people that are really interested in these issues and they're open and they are seeking information. And that is really encouraging. And people like you are very encouraging because you're a young person that's passionate about this and has worked very, very hard to help support the animals. Why, thank you. Yeah. On that note, let's let people think about that and have a good holiday. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. All right. Take care, all. Thanks for coming with us. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Cover on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.